from Sky News on the right to the ABC on the left. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. On the right of that line lies an evil empire of conservative Christians who deny climate change but believe in trickle-down economics. On the left lies a misguided and confused rabble who are supposed to help the working man but instead fight amongst themselves over identities. Only the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast takes the uncomfortable position of sitting astride the Iron Curtain to take aim at both sides. Only this podcast, and perhaps the bullshit filter, can explain the dire threats facing our civilization. I only wish that they could have traveled back in time to when I was conducting the war effort with the benefit of their wise counsel. The war would have ended three years earlier. I would not have lost the election and I would have invested heavily in technology stocks. (laughs) In any event, I implore you to listen to this very fine podcast. It is your duty. It is indeed your duty, dear listener, if you want to be fully informed of what's going on in the world, then tune in to the Iron Fist Velvet Club podcast like you are right now. This is an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion. Sometimes we delve into history and we will be doing that uh, tonight for sure. So I'm Trevor the Iron Fist. With me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day Cameron, g'day listeners. Paul the 12th Man. Hi guys, how are you all going? And a special guest, Cameron Riley. Welcome aboard, Cameron. You don't have to be a middle-aged white man with grey hair and glasses to this podcast, but it doesn't hurt. It does. <laughs> no, boys. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for thank you for being on again, Cam. So, um, so dear listener, uh, last week we talked about Korea, and it just sort of came up as an obscure topic that we sometimes just stumble across. And and I had a little bit of a disagreement with with, with how it went, and I said, look, let's get a let's talk about this next week, and we've had a chance to to um, figure things out and I said I, I might phone a friend and when I said that I had Cameron, <laughs> Cameron Riley in mind at the time. So, um, so just to remind people what happened last week, I'll just play a little bit of a, a snippet of, of what we said and then, we'll, then I'll let Cameron loose. <laughs> so so there, here's a little bit now. So the US has launched 201 out of 248 armed conflicts since the end of World War II. Oh, okay. Yeah. Been busy. At least they've been consistent. <laughs> I, you know, I, I got criticised for saying I honestly believe, but I've got no other options except to say I honestly believe, is that um, the Yanks were probably the last war they're actually justified in 100% was probably the Korean conflict. Oh, don't. You don't yes, think they, they that. Were justified You don't think they were justified in entering the Korean uh, conflict to protect the South no. Koreans from invasion? No, no. Oh, for God's sake. serious. Next week, Korean War. I second that, for God's sake. (laughs) And just briefly, a little bit later in the conversation was this. So in every civil war around the world, America should get involved? 
No, not a civil war. That was not a civil war. You had two separate countries that were divided along the 38th parallel Mm. by agreement. The North (laughs) reneged on the agreement and invaded the South. The South had no choice but to help, to put up their hands and say, we need help. The Yanks came in and they pushed them back. Wow. So... So Cameron uh, is a man of uh, enjoys his history, and Cameron, I listened to your Cold War podcast, which included a, a fair segment on the Korean War. So I'll, I'll open it up to you, and with your opening remarks, Cameron. <laughs> I do recall that when you said you were going to phone a friend last week, I can't remember whether it was Scott or Paul, but somebody said, "Oh, you're not going to get Cameron back on, are you?" I think I, it probably I was me. Yeah. Uh, well, I apologise for getting too ranty last time. I'll try and keep it brief and <laughs> concise uh, this time. Yeah, look, yeah, look, we did on our Cold War show. We did recently, um, I don't know, ten or uh, something hours on the genesis of the Korean War, and it's it's slightly more complicated, um, obviously, than. Scott's Reader's Digest uh, conflicts packet version. There, um, I would I would point out a couple of things. Um, Korea wasn't divided into two countries by agreement to begin with. It was divided uh, at the end of World War Two, purely uh, for convenience sake. The Russians and the Americans were going to go in and try and clear out the Japanese. So they said, uh, all right, Russia, you take the north, we'll take the south, we'll spend five years clearing it out, and then we will reunify the country. In about five years was the rough timeline that they agreed to um, during the, I think it was the uh, Potsdam. I'm not exactly sure whether they talked about it at Yalta, but I think it was mostly at Potsdam. Um so that was the first step in the process. Uh, but then you, you get to a couple of years later, Syngman Rhee is uh, handpicked by the Americans to be the uh, uh, sort of president of the South. Um, and th- th- what happened was the UN, under the auspices of the US, decided not to reunify the North and the South. They, uh, had, you know, because of all of the anti-communist rhetoric that was coming out of the Truman administration in the late 40s, which was mostly a domestic political issue, he was being smacked up. The Democrats were being smacked around by the Republicans for being too soft on communism. They felt like they'd given away too much at Yalta and that they were being too soft on Stalin. They weren't containing them enough. He had to, Truman had to look tough. So, uh, you know, he adopted this containment policy of George Kennan and they refused to negotiate with the Russians uh, to form some sort of uh, a common ground on unification. Now, to be fair, the Russians weren't easy to negotiate uh, with either in this whole process. Stalin and Molotov is foreign minister, didn't want to have, uh, and you, you have to understand too, geopolitically, where Korea sits, it pretty much sits right on the border of the Soviet Union. Soviet Union didn't want a a capitalist country that was in league with the American trading bloc sitting right on their borders. Bad enough that they had lost Japan to the Americans, which again is, you know, right off the coast of the Soviet Union. 
Uh, they didn't want a, they didn't want another purely capitalist American bloc country there. So they were they, and 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 the Germany situation was spiraling out of control this time. They they couldn't agree on the reunification of Germany, which had always been the plan. They then couldn't agree on the terms of the reunification of Korea. So the Americans just went ahead and said, we're going to turn South Korea into a, an independent country. The North and several other countries uh, complained about that in the United Nations. They uh, refused to participate. And uh, basically, uh, the, the Americans and the UN went ahead. So, Cam, just, just up to the Second World War, Korea mm. was occupied by Japan. Japan. And... Uh, the Japanese occupied it at about what point? 1905. Right. So, and for hundreds of centuries before that, had been just operating autonomously. Years. Yes, a thousand, a thousand years, years as an independent country. Independent country. And yeah. roughly 50 years of Japanese occupation and then a line cut down through the middle. So, yeah. to cut to the chase, Cam, one of the arguments was that this wasn't a civil war. But if yeah, if we've well, got a, a country that was basically a thousand years old, and in, and in in a moment is halved down the middle, mm. like ethnically and culturally, they were the same people, right? They were the same people, and they they all wanted unification. Uh, Syngman Rhee, the president of the South, who had lived before the sort of end of World War II, he'd lived in the United States for most of the last 30, 40 years, uh, English-speaking, Christian, ran a Christian church in Hawaii for decades before the end of the war, was very unpopular in the South um, just before the North's uh, invasion in 1950. Uh, Sigmund Rhee had just lost uh, an election in the South, massively, very unpopular. He was brutal, but he also wanted to uh, reunify the country. In fact, one of the reasons he was militarily so weak when the North uh, crossed over the parallel was because the Americans wouldn't arm him, partly because they had significantly reduced their own military budgets, but also because they were concerned that if they armed him, he would invade the North, and they didn't want him to do that. So is this guy just another strong man that America puts in as they are want to do in countries that they're... No, he wasn't a strong man, right. really, not, not in that sense. He was, But he was a, a, a Christian fundamentalist, uh, brutal nutjob, arrested tens of thousands of Koreans, uh, was throwing them in jail, torturing them, uh, very unpopular and brutal. And the Americans knew that as well. Yep. But I guess it is a civil war when you have essentially one people with the same culture, the same language, the same traditions, arbitrarily divided a few years previously in order to clear out the Japanese. And then they try and reunify. I don't know how you can't define that as a civil war. They certainly saw it as a civil war. And from the North's perspective, the South was occupied by a foreign power. Mm. The Americans were occupying the South and the government down there was a puppet American government. Yeah. What was the so, story about the number of either collaborators or actual Japanese who were in charge? I think I remember something from the from your podcast that the that the Americans had put people in charge in the South who the locals probably wouldn't be very fond of because they were like collaborators with the with the Japanese during the occupation. Yeah, more of that happened in Vietnam, I think, than right. in Korea. There were probably, you know, a, a lot of the uh, people uh, that, the Korean people that had 
worked for the Japanese during their occupation would have stayed on in their jobs as military police and secret police and that kind of stuff. It was a big, bigger problem in uh, South Vietnam, though, um, around about the same time. Okay, so yeah, hold on one second. Have we convinced you? Are you willing to change your mind that it was a civil war? No, you haven't. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it was artificially divided or not, it was divided. Yeah. So there yeah. were two countries. Yeah, there. but a, a civil war is about two different groups fighting. Yeah, absolutely. But, they were. The, but, and I, ex, I accept but, that they're the same people, right. same language, mm. same culture, all that yeah. sort of thing. If the nations hadn't been split like that, then you would be able to argue convincingly mm. that it was a civil war. But no, you have not convinced me it's a civil it's, war. It's so probably a... When an outside power puts a line down the middle of what was once a it unified was the country... United Nations that put a line between them. Yeah. Well, an outside power still... Yeah, but it was the United Nations which is supposed to be the, the family so of all nations. Outside okay, powers. so an outside power in, in runs a line down the, the middle. The North Korean regime was, was a client of the Soviet Union. Okay, but, but only a Actually, brief that's... moment in history, they were all one people. And what, in a, in a fleeting moment that? in historical terms, they've been cut in half, the country. Hmm. They, they are the one... They speak the same language. Well, they have the same they country. They speak the same language. They have the same a, country, a, the a, same a, culture, all that sort of thing. A, a civil war is about people of the same culture fighting mm. against each other. Mm. And the only reason they were two different countries is was because, because they an outside... artificially divided by a... An outside power, yes, right. but that is fine so because that is a American, legal definition. They the created Ameri two countries. Okay, all right. Was the American Civil War a civil war? Absolutely, it was a civil war. Even though South Carolina had seceded from the Union, well, and I mean, Lincoln you can invaded. go, you can go into the whole thing about whether or not it was legal for them to secede. Mm. I understand that argument. I'm not a hundred percent on board with it, but I understand that argument that you can argue about whether or not it was legal for them mm. to secede. And the success, the secession that they did actually put up probably would have yeah, enabled look, them to argue that they were a separate country. I'm not convinced it's even that important what we call it. It was a, it was a, a very bad conflict, obviously, two opposing sides um, led by native Koreans, but both sides financed and equipped by foreign powers. Okay, all right. We'll agree to disagree on the civil war component for mm. the moment. It's a technicality. Just, but, but, you know. See, Cam, you, you need guys like this to disagree because Ray just, you know, he's, he's always agreeing with you. This is where you get conflict. Is on this, Ray. Uh, he's his co-host on, on his many podcasts. Oh, okay. So, okay, we'll, we'll put that one to the side for the moment. But as for should America have got involved in Korea then? Absolutely. So it seemed to me, if I could just summarise your thoughts perhaps, but get me, tell me if I'm wrong, would be that uh, if it wasn't for the American intervention, then... Uh, basically South Korea today would be like North Korea today. And essentially the American intervention saved the South Koreans from a North Korean fate. Is that a fair assumption? That's a fair assumption. I think that it sums up what I was thinking anyway. Right. Yes, so because you didn't want the entire yes. country. Because right. can you imagine Kim Il-sung, having conquered the whole of Korea, would have changed anything the way in the way that he managed uh, the country cam I'm, I'm it's like a professional wrestling thing here and i'm tagging you now to come in um cameron pretty <laughs> yeah, boy maybe, riley to <laughs> maybe maybe the unified korea would be like the unified china unified by Mao tung a communist which is now the largest economy on the planet and the largest <laughs> oppressive dictatorship on the planet too Oh, okay, so we have so, issues with 
dictatorships or economic power? Which which do we want? We have issues with authoritarian dictatorships, yes, that jail people for, you know, spray painting a picture of the president, you know, jail which, them and which put the... Which country is the highest prison population per capita in the world? It's today. not about oh. overall numbers, Cam. It's about what people it's get not. imprisoned for. Now, in, oh, in the okay. United States, you don't get imprisoned for saying Trump is an asshole. In China, you do. There's a very big difference. In the United States, you get imprisoned for smoking weed. Yeah, well, in China, you don't. I mean, well, you might, but it depends on how you do it. And it's the same in the United States. A lot of people in the United States smoke weed and are not in jail. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty trivial example to use. But, but you, in the United the States, the you absolutely do not get put in jail for saying Trump is a shithead. If you do that in China, you're definitely going to, you know, if you do it publicly, you're definitely going to have a backlash. If, if we could just circle back to Korea yeah. for the moment. So the question really is, would Korea as a whole have ended up like North Korea now had the Americans just stayed out of it. Like, I have little so, doubt it would have ended so, up okay, like So one of the reasons, like looking at examples like Cuba, for example, yeah. one of the reasons Cuba ended up the way it did was because basically the US shut them out from it's the world economy. It's always America's fault, isn't and, it? And what, the reason why... It's the same what, as North Korea. What, what, one of the reasons why Venezuela, as we've discussed is having problems is because they were shut out and had their money confiscated. That's your theory. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. So well, as a theory, what a I'm theory. saying is that you can't say that uh, the whole of Korea would have ended up like the whole of North Korea because if it had just been allowed to get on with stuff and participate like any other Asian country, who knows what direction it, it might have gone in. So, I don't, so in, in, don't agree at all. And it's... It's such an aberration, the North Korean government, sure is. that uh, you could argue that it was because of that artificial line running through it that caused uh, that aberration. If the other, and millions if, of people. If, if it had been left whole, then the most likely scenario is they would have got on with it like mm. other countries do. It's yeah. when, you, when you're drawing these artificial lines like what's happened in the Middle East mm. and other areas where you where you're carving lines through tribal groups without any concern for who's on either side. Mm. We've got the Kurds basically quartered into four different countries or whatever. Yeah. That's when you get dysfunction. So you could argue, and I would, that the dysfunction is caused by this uh, intervention of carving the country in half. Look, I, I take Cam's point. I think it's, it's possible it might have ended up something a little bit more like present-day China, mm. perhaps not as affluent, but, uh, you know, in, in terms of the way they govern the place. It, but I think that's altogether a bad thing myself. And it, it, it could have, ended, it could have all ended up... Autocracy is never could, going to relinquish power voluntarily. Don't you think but, but, that what we're doing here is a thought experiment, mm. which I don't think any of us can say what's go what would have happened... Mm. We've just got to look at what has happened. And the South has evolved over many decades because it didn't evolve at the end of the Korean War. It took many decades before the... I remember the mass protests on the street in Seoul in the 80s and 90s. Mm. They were huge demonstrations against their government. Yeah. So clearly... And I can't remember what the protests were about. And they weren't they were, all in Seoul either. There were others in places like Gwangju where yeah. the government sent in the troops and they killed hundreds, possibly yeah. thousands. I don't know. Now, that's proof that it didn't evolve into a liberal democracy straight away. That's true. But over time, though, 
Mm. I mean, nowadays, yeah. it is a liberal democracy of the South. Yeah. In the North, it is an autocracy mm. that is a military dictatorship. Yeah. So you could argue that the, the US intervention caused uh, the North Korean, uh, it, it stopped what would have been South Korea for the whole of Korea. Like, it could have gone that way. So, Without the American so intervention, the Korea as a whole could have developed the way that South Korea no, developed. No, I, I disagree because the, the South Koreans were... You already heard Cameron say that the South Koreans were on their ass militarily and the, that's when the North invaded them. That's why they were pushed right down to the very south. It was only with the landing in Incheon, was it? Incheon, yeah. Incheon where the Yanks went in an amphibious landing behind and then pushed them north. Yeah. That was the only thing that worked. Now, my understanding is they got within a mile or two of the Chinese border and then this is where MacArthur really stuffed up. He didn't get the president to go to the Chinese and say, look, we've got no beef with you, we're not going to go any further north, we're just going to finish this up and then it would have been over. But instead he just wanted to push on, scared the diving daylights out of the Chinese and the Chinese got involved. The whole thing then... Mm dragged on for three years. The Chinese were probably always going to get involved if they went north of the you know, 38th parallel because Mao just absolutely did not want a client state of the United States on their border, you know. Cam, chime in. <laughs> uh, what's the point? Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> shouting into a vacuum. Um, oh, thanks a lot. Ken. Yeah, look, the the uh, South were militarily weak. In fact, the North only were given permission by Stalin to uh, cross over the border because he had been convinced by Mao and Kim and by speeches from guys like Dean Asherson that the Americans didn't care about South Korea and wouldn't support wouldn't support them if the North walked in. There had been a series of speeches given in the previous uh, couple of months by the Americans where they talked about their strategic interests in Asia and deliberately, it would appear, left South Korea off the list. So he was convinced it would all be over in a couple of weeks. They knew how weak and unpopular Syngman Rhee's administration was, and they didn't think the Americans would get involved. The Americans, though, had just passed uh, NSC 68, were looking for a justification to ramp up their military budgets in peacetime. They'd been, Truman after World War II had gutted their military budgets, something by like 90% he'd gutted the budgets. The military didn't like that. There was the uh, revolt of the admirals in the late 40s where they were arguing against gutting the Navy budgets. Um, and so they used the invasion of the North. And some historians think that they led the North on to believe that they wouldn't get involved. Hard to really know that for sure, but there's there's evidence that would indicate that. Uh, but of course, yeah, it surprised the hell out of Kim, Mao and Stalin when the Americans came riding in on their white charger. But yeah, if, it, if they hadn't have done that, it would have all been over in a month. And um, who knows what it would have looked like today as... Scott said that's, uh, you know, full of what-if scenarios we can't really know. So we, we have to agree to disagree because we can't predict what would have happened in alternative scenarios. Is like opening and sliding doors or whatever. Who knows how Korea would have potentially ended up. Yeah, exactly. Now, I would have hoped that if Korea had been unified in the same way China was, that they would have got on with it 
as Cameron said, mm. and developed their economy and that sort of thing and become a prosperous part of Asia. But you don't, you don't know you, that and you can only see what the, that the Kim dynasty did in the north. Sorry, Cameron. You can't – sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're right. Um, you, but you, you, you can't ignore the effect that economic sanctions levied by the United States and its allies – illegal economic sanctions, by the way. Economic sanctions are illegal under international law. The US has continued to do that against the people of Cuba, the people of North Korea, the people of Venezuela. You, you can't – ignore the impact that those sanctions are going to have on the political economy of a country over 60, 70 years, and then turn around and point the finger at the people of those countries and say, look at you, what a fucking mess you've made of your country and your economy, when they've been blackballed by the Americans and their allies for three generations. You have to. Yeah, but what, 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 what have the yeah, but, then, but then what have they decided to do with their with what little money they've got? They've diver- diverted it into a nuclear weapons program. Mm. Yeah. You know, well, that well, is. Well, I, I would have. No, no, it's a very. Yeah, it's the only time. reason they haven't. If, that, you the, create the, a scenario where, of course, that's what you're going to do. Like that's the most rational thing the North Koreans have done. I, da- I disagree with you because the most rational thing for them to do is to say to China, "Hey, Uncle Xi, we need your help." You know, we're not going to develop our own weapons, but if the Yanks come, we want you to blast them out of the planet. <laughs> I dropped out there. I'm not oh, sure if you guys... Uh, no, you're still with us. Did you drop out? No, no we're I still here. You're, you're still here. Yeah, look, I think it's important not to conflate the people. You keep saying the people, Cam. I don't, I don't see it as a contest of the people. It's the contest of those with military power who, who run the country and... You know, honestly, we can speculate all we like, but, you know, I suppose if we make educated guesses, I would say it would have evolved into something resembling contemporary China, but certainly not anything resembling a liberal democracy, which is my preferred model. Can I, can I just add one other thought into this? Um, is your feeling that America entered the war and got involved out of the goodness of their heart to sort of save and help the... No. South Koreans, or no. or for their purely for their own self interest, for their and, own self interest, yeah, right, okay, but, yes, but it is just out of good luck that South Korea has evolved into a liberal democracy. I think now. it's more than good luck, Scott. Well, I don't think it was by good management by the Americans, though. No, well, let, let's give the Koreans some credit. Absolutely, you know, the, the South Koreans, Koreans yeah. obviously wanted and preferred liberal liberal democracy. And when they got the opportunity to, to develop it, that's exactly what they did. Whereas the North Koreans have never been given that opportunity by an autocratic, you know, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a monarchy up there, you know, the Kim, the Kim dynasty. And that's what people refer to it as, and quite aptly, I think. But the South Korean people, even though they put up with a lot of fucking shit for decades, and it was pretty bad, it was a brutal dictatorship, eventually the South Korean people got rid of the, the brutal, you know, uh, dictatorship and they installed a liberal democracy. The North Koreans have never had that opportunity and I give the South Koreans full credit, you know. They... How, how many out of the recent South Korean presidents have ended up in jail for corruption? That's not the point. Uh, I mean, you can say, you know, America's fucked because of Donald Trump. It isn't fucked, you know. They have a, they have a terrible president and we all know he's a piece of shit. But the American people, 
will move on and they'll get be- they'll go beyond Donald Trump and you know their their government their political system definitely has problems no doubt about it but the flexibility of the system allows them to carry on and replace Trump with someone more suitable whereas the North Koreans don't have that option you know the South Koreans do maybe they you know politicians are known to be corrupt the world over you know what that's nothing so- new and they can so jail them. At least they get to jail them, don't they? The North Koreans don't ha- don't get to jail uh, any any of their corrupt politicians, and they're just as corrupt as anybody else. So, so if Kim, the- Kim has jailed a whole bunch of corrupt Koreans in the last ten years, Kim, what are you talking about? he is the yeah. most corrupt of the whole fucking lot. I mean, he should right, be the, the first one in jail. You say they don't jail them? Of course they jail them. They oh, even execute on. them. Yeah, but come on, it's not for corruption. It's because. They don't toe the line. Okay, one other line the of thought. The question is, though, sorry. Sorry, one other line of thought, just a final one perhaps on this, is uh, okay, if the Americans were justified in, in doing this because of the end result, sort of the ends justifying the means sort of yeah. argument, yep. well, which is what, really that. what we're saying, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So does that mean that in any similar conflict around the world, the Americans should always charge in and, if necessary, uh, take sides and, and no, instil their version of I, their ideal? I like, what, what, what makes this one so special that America had to be involved in well, another country's affairs and couldn't just leave it alone for it to, to work well, it out okay, for itself? It because first... you could find dozens of other instances around the world where an evil character is going to take over a country yeah, and I do... Understand you know, that. So what, what was the difference between Korea well, that I makes it justifiable, whereas the 150 other sort of interventions that we well, mentioned you put it are like not? That, if you put it like that, it was not justifiable for the Americans to get involved. However, they got involved, and I think the South Koreans are very grateful for the American involvement. Now... Let's put this down to a very simple question. You've only got two responses here. Right. Okay? This is Where would you gentlemen prefer to live, Pyongyang <laughs> or Seoul? Clearly I'd prefer to live in, in, in Seoul. Right. Mm. Then you'd have to conclude, therefore, that the United Nations intervention under the American leadership was probably justified. Well, but as we've said before, you can't tell what would have happened if they didn't. Absolutely. You can't tell what would have happened. But, but my point is... Let's pick another country or a conflict around the world and say, well, uh, it's a shithole now and the Americans should have gone in. Is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, that I, whenever there's a, yeah, I, a shitty incident about to happen about in another Germany? country... What, what about Germany? But, that was divided. But, 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 and guess what? Where were people more prosperous and more happy? On the west or on the east of the, the dividing line? Can how we just did deal, that turn out? Can we just deal with my first question? Well, how did that turn out? Because that was an American intervention. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, jeez. you want to go down some rabbit holes? <laughs> no. The, the five-minute I mean, version, Kim. I'm, I'm let's, way let's out the in US the sunshine. Economy, let's look at the US economy after World War II and the Soviet economy after World War II. Which country had twenty lost 27 million people during World War II the Soviet and the Union impact did. that that had on their economy for the next five decades? Of course, the West Germans were given more shit from the Americans. The Americans had money coming out their ears after World War II. So was Do that you know a bad thing? Americans died in World War II. Was that a bad thing? I don't know. Okay. What was, was that the- a bad thing that the Americans had more money and they helped the Germans become a 
prosperous liberal democracy. Was that a bad thing? Depends who you ask. Oh, come on. I mean, it wasn't. No, of course. I mean, so what the Americans did uh, with the Marshall Plan and with West Germany was basically use their untold wealth because they were the only major economy that didn't have the shit bombed out of them for five years to go and buy the economic allegiance of these countries in Western Europe. That's a really That's cynical what, view. But, but, can, that is exactly what the Marshall Plan was designed a really to do. We're not going to go down the... No, Cam, I'm sorry. You're point. saying that the Americans were just motherfuckers with a lot of money who went in and bought favour. They went in yeah, and they American, rebuilt American. Western Europe. You know, they allowed Western Europe to become prosperous and free, you know? Can we do the Marshall Plan another time? Yeah, you've really swallowed <laughs> but, the red, white and blue but, but, but pill can tonight, we, haven't you? But, no, no, but, but, but no, can, no. Can, no we say, like can we say, for example, what makes Korea acceptable for intervention? Can I say which, this? Yes. Legally? Legally, what made it actually acceptable, and I will uh, uh, acknowledge this, is the a vote for intervention was actually passed by the UN Security Council. Because yeah, that was because the Russia, Soviet Union was uh, boycotting it at the time, mm. weren't they? Because the Soviet Union were boycotting it because yeah. it wouldn't recognise uh, Mao's China. Mm. Uh, now... There is an argument that says that uh, Stalin deliberately boycotted the vote because he wanted the Americans to get involved, because he wanted them to get mired down in a war. Hard to, again, really know if that's true or not, but I have read that argument. But yes, it was it was sanctioned by the UN Security Council uh, as opposed to Vietnam or, or any yeah. other number of the 70-odd countries where America's got involved uh, since then. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good reason. You could say that's what made it different. I'll, I'll accept that. Well, that was so. the main difference, was that you had the UN backing of it all. I mean, like... The and, and not only in name, not only in name, a lot forces. of countries sent soldiers and they died on the battlefield. They committed, you know, they committed their blood, not just their treasure, you know, to the, to the fight. So clearly it did have the support of a lot of countries. And in your view, then, the UN should be making that same decision in any number of other countries. The problem is that there's always the veto because everyone attends the meetings now. Yeah, that I, means it never happens. I but, think that... But you're saying in an ideal world mistake. that that formula would be repeated, that the UN would say, yep, uh, in we go and let's let's do it. Oh, I don't is, know what would happen if, if that but, was the case now. That, no, but I'm asking what you think is correct and what you think should happen. So... I think Korea the was United a, Nations lacks legitimacy to some Because our whole point is mm. this Korean war, it was a justifiable, legitimate war, and you're saying, well, because the UN said it was, is a damn good reason as to why we can say that. And my next question that leads from that is, then should the UN be saying that all the time in conflicts around the world? The problem being that it'll never get that agreement because there's always an East yeah. versus West dispute, but... In an ideal world, the UN should be going in and doing that. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. But uh, look, I, you know, I mean, yes. it seems pointless to, to try and say, oh, the, you know, the US you know, shouldn't have done it. It's all those years ago. They did it, you know, for better or worse. It was a strategic decision on the part of the United States, but they did it. And the end result is we now have half of the peninsula prosperous and liberal democratic and the northern half is a tyrannical nightmare for most of the people that live there 
Well, Cam, I reckon we're going to just go in circles from now on. Uh, so I'm going to give a plug for you and let you get on with your with your study. If you're uh, unless you want to get any final words in before before plugging it. Okay, <laughs> no worries, Cam. So, dear listener, for those of you who don't for those of you who don't know, Cameron Riley has a bunch of podcasts. He's a busy man. He's got yeah. five of them on the go at any one time. Yeah. Uh, the Bullshit Filter, The Cold War, The Renaissance Times, The Life of Caesars, and Think Like a Millionaire. So um, I highly recommend them and uh, go to the podcast network and you'll find them there. He's also the author of a new book, The Psychopath Epidemic. Is, it, is that the final title for it, Cam? Yep. And... He's made a documentary, yes, marketing the Messiah. I'd when, like to see that one, when, Cam. Y- y- When's it getting released? Everyone will be on the same page with you on that one, Cam. It seems. What's the release? Yeah. What's the re- what's the timeline on that one? Yeah. <laughs> Are we invited? Do we get an invite? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, the film's finished. We're trying to sell it now to distributors, and that process could take the rest of my life. Who the hell knows? Right. It's out of my hands now. It's, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. But look, so thanks I'll, for your I'll input you know, on the, trust me. On okay. the Korean thanks War, Cam. It, it is appreciated, boys even though we fun. don't necessarily agree. <laughs> okay. Th- thanks, Cam. Talk to you later, thanks, mate. Boys. Okay. Thanks, Cam. Bye. Bye. Ciao. There you go. Cam Riley does battle with the 12th man in the velvet glove. <laughs> First flying. It was <laughs> good. There was no was battle. Good. It was just, you know, yeah. it came down to, you know, I. I'm still not prepared to accept that a call it a civil war. However, I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is you've got to look at the end. And the mm-hmm. end of the whole to thing was that's... that the South ended up being a hell of a lot more prosperous than the yeah. North. Mm. I take Cameron's point that you can't discount the economically destructive impact of having an American um, trade, uh, trade embargo against mm. the North. Mm-hmm. I've no doubt that probably fucked up their economy. However, we don't know what would have happened had the North have won. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you look at the way the North has evolved, I think it's possible that they would have just extended their brutal dictatorship across the entire peninsula. I believe that's the most likely outcome, to Mm. be honest. Righto. We'll move on. To Uh, what? To um, Cuba. Well, I thought we'd briefly mention uh, Extinction Rebellion. Yes. That's an interesting topic. Very it juicy. It is. So Extinction Rebellion have been very active in Brisbane yes. of late where members have been... They've been sailing in the streets. Uh, well, they've been sort of um, uh, chaining themselves to different bits and pieces that make it very difficult for yeah. them to be unlocked and Indeed. police and emergency services are spending a lot of time cutting them loose yes. and... And our good Premier has uh, yeah. drafted legislation... To severely punish people who uh, are so disruptive. Right. And I she has seen the details completely of that. ignored her time as a student activist on the street when Bjorki Peterson was trying to shut down the protests that she was involved in. You know? She has completely ignored that and she's trying to shut down these protests because she doesn't agree with them. Well, Do you think she's so shutting what, them down? What has she actually just, just said? Because I hadn't seen the detail. No, it's, well, I haven't it's seen just, the detail either, but there was this whole thing that I read today that they were saying that um, she is now trying to shut down these street protests, which she was uh, she was yeah. protesting for the right to protest under the Bjelke-Peterson area. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a good parallel, um, simply because Bjelke-Peterson 
didn't want any protest. He, yeah, I know that. He's he outlawed nut. protest. Now, she is not saying that she wants to outlaw protest. She's just saying that when people chain themselves to, you know, things and lie down in the street and they attach devices that make it hazardous to themselves, to the protesters and to the police and emergency workers who are then tasked with moving them on and cutting them loose, apparently some of them have uh, booby-trapped these devices to make it more hazardous and more risky just to cut them loose, and that's what yeah. she's legislating against. Ah, okay, against the sort she's of not booby trying trapping to outlaw of, the, of the apparatus because they've got steel bars in concrete and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. and they yeah. put their, their arms inside like plastic tubes and chain them in, and apparently some of them were putting like uh, aerosol cans and things in there right. that would explode as soon as the police started cutting them out and things like that. Right. So she was saying okay. this is well, an unacceptable yep. risk to the police and to other, you know. But workers. otherwise, just the idea of Extinction Rebellion with... with Well, here's the thing about Extinction Rebellion. So I, my extensive research into Wikipedia. By the way, hello in the <laughs> chat room to Bronwyn and to maybe Nikita and Greg, if you're all there, and anyone else there. Say hello if you're in the chat room. So I had a quick look, and yeah. Extinction Rebellion, abbreviated as XR... Yeah. Stupid abbreviation. Can't they spell? <laughs> <laughs> it's E-R. Um, an environmental pressure group with the stated aim of using civil disobedience to compel government action on climate breakdown, biodiversity loss and the risk of social and ecological collapse. Mm. And it started in the UK in May 2018 mm. when they started blocking some um, prominent sites in central London. So... Extinction Rebellion uses arrest as a tactic to try to achieve its goals. Co-founder Roger Hallam has said, letters, emailing, marches don't work. You need about 400 people to go to prison, about two to 3,000 people to be arrested. Lock so, them up, I say. <laughs> so the thing about these guys is they're not just wanting freedom of speech no. and the ability to be heard. No. They're actually... Their aim is to get arrested. Mm. So they're losing me on that score. Like I'm all for supporting mm. their ability to speak, but if it's intentionally about getting arrested, yeah. then that seems silly. And it shows well, contempt. It, it shows con utter contempt for the, for the pol political system we have. I mean, you know, they have their freedom of speech. They have a perfect right to enunciate their, their, their grievances and their claims they don't have a perfect right to, you know, disrupt everybody's life. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the difference. Now, mm. I did a little bit of reading on the people that started it, and these people are not just about climate change. They're about uh, capitalism and Western civilization. They want to dismantle the capitalist economic system right. globally. Right. And they see the West as the problem with the planet. Mm -hmm. It's all the West's fault. You know, right. where have we heard that before? Mm. You know? <laughs> Mm. And I don't buy it. They're, they're, they're cloaking themselves in this respectable veil of concern for the environment and we're all on board with that. We all support action to protect the environment, to do whatever is necessary, to uh, you know, fix up whatever we're doing that is wrong with the climate, if, if indeed it is human-caused, uh, and, and I'm more or less convinced that it, it probably is, at least partially, but these people, they want to dismantle our total, all our economic system and they want to install these so-called 
you know, uh, low-level democracies. They don't trust politicians. They also don't trust so-called experts. Now, you know, we often discuss this. Who do you who do you call where, where if you, you need? Where do you get all this from? Like, where did you? I, just, I came across a a, a document. Because it's kind of almost conspiracy. It's not. It's like not at all. No, 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 no. Trevor, you know so, me. I'm yeah. not, I'm not making this up. I right. saw this right. on a page where their philosophy, their political mm. philosophy, was spelled out. And interestingly, I've looked for it again, and I can't find it. It's it's disappeared. Right. Now it makes me suspicious. It makes me wonder why they've. You know, it's been removed from, from the internet because I just couldn't find it again. But it's spelled out very clearly. These people see Western civilization as the problem. Yeah, well... And I don't buy it, you know. They would I take... don't know that you can ascribe that to the group until you see them actually demanding that. Like, I, I don't know, all I've seen so far is climate action... Um, it's, it's much as, as their placards, yeah, but I haven't deep. seen anything of down with capitalism. Ha, have on you their been placards. to their website? So no. Oh, they have a big right. website. Okay, go there, yeah. and it's and down there's with a video, capitalism. There's a video of a woman. I forget her name, right. but she's one of the founding members. Right. And I, when you listen to her, she okay. has no plan about climate change, right. no actual detailed plan at all. It's all about where we're sick of the government not listening to our demands. Right. We're sick of these so-called experts who don't, you know, who don't act on, on what they're telling us and they want to devolve government. They want to take government away from okay, so it's sort parliament. Of an anarchist type it's group. totally an anarchist an organisation. Okay. Right. And they want, they want to set up people's you know, local councils. It's like, you know, it's like the, the idea mm. of uh, local Soviets. Right. And how well did they work out? Right. Okay. All right. Well, well, it remains to be seen, but um, uh, Broman in the chat room says she was prepared, uh, she was surprised at the number of people who um, are prepared to agree with XR in Melbourne after all the inconvenience they've caused down there. So, yeah, interesting. Look, I I agree with them about climate change. I agree wholeheartedly with them, and I've said this numerous times. If they had a protest on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I would be there. But they don't. They have it on a Friday afternoon. I can't get there because I work. Yep. And that, that is the whole point. If they protested on the weekend, I would be there. Mm-hmm. But If it was protest. all about just the climate, I possibly would lend them some support. But having read into them, I just think they're a bunch of ratbags, you know. They, they waffle on with... You know, yeah, but I think Bronwyn's love and peace. I, I mean, you have a look, Trevor, and I think you'll agree with me. They waffle on with lots of you know, lovely sounding ideas, but it's all waffle. Mm-hmm. It really is all waffle. Okay. All right. I mean, I think Bronwyn's right, though, that you've got a large number of people prepared to back them despite the inconvenience that they've caused. Now, I don't think that they're going to, that they've looked in behind the whole thing mm. about what Extinction Rebellion is asking for. I and agree. If Extinction Rebellion did try and impose small political councils on us, we'd all tell them to go and get stuffed. And then we'd move on. But I think that I think that they are doing the right thing for the environment right now. So I think we've got to go support them. But not on a Friday afternoon. They're well, not if their aim is to just get arrested. Like if no, if their aim is, is to, just to get arrested, then you shouldn't Which it bother. seems to be yeah. that is the, you know, that's what the organisation is about, yeah. is getting arrested rather than, I agree. than having their voice. So. And that's why we need to have a, that's why we need to have a moderate environmental movement that is going to organise a protest on a Saturday and Sunday afternoon so we can go out and march with them. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not lending Extinction Rebellion any support whatsoever. I would lend my support to a a, a 
you know, truly democratic uh, organisation who respected our democratic institutions, they should run members for parliament. That's the way to change the government, mm. is to be the government. Not, not just, you know, fuck around with everybody's lives and try and, you know, dismantle the economy. That's not the way to help anybody. Righto. Moving on. <laughs> is the Labor opposition suffering from depression? <laughs> Almost terminal I think by the look are. of it. I think they are suffering from depression. You know, I can't remember the guy's name, but the um, shadow envir- the shadow resources minister, whatever the hell his name is, who's saying that... Uh, that they should adopt the government's policy on climate change, which is to meet the um, 28% reduction of um, greenhouse gas Well, that's the man from the Hunter River Valley. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, they caved in on the tax cuts. I know they caved in on the tax cuts. Some of them are wanting to cave in on the climate. Yeah. And some of them are wanting to cave in on pandering to the religious element. Yeah. Mm. They're just giving in on everything. These people... Just have no conviction. They, they just no, want power yeah, for power's sake, and they're all. figuring, well, we'll move to the to they, what they perceive as a lurching, populist idea. They're so. lurching to the right, mm. and they're going to fuck it up because they're yeah. not naturally of the right, and they're going to stuff it up if they they're go. They're an that empty way. shell of the Labor Ca- Party Ca- that used to be. Mm. Catherine Murphy in the Guardian said, "Part of the reason Labor feels off balance at the moment, both internally and externally, is because these people have spent the last two terms." prioritising discipline over everything else. In order to atone for throwing away government during the Rudd-Gillard period, Labor, as a collective, held its tongue for six years. Mm. Right now we are watching a group of people learning how to argue productively with each other again um, when, you know, argument, either constructive or destructive, has been considered the cardinal sin. I think that's true. I mm, mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. Catherine lost... Murphy's a pretty astute observer, I think, mm. generally. Mm. So, um, so... But you know what? Nobody pays any attention to politics until uh, a month an before the election, election and then they'll stick their nose up and have a look at who's on, um, and then they'll fall for Scott Morrison's daggy dad um, routine again. And it, <laughs> so it really doesn't matter what Labor does at the moment, except just loses heart for any of their potential supporters. Yeah, look, I, I don't entirely agree with you, Trevor. I think mm-hmm. I think there is some sort of um, some degree of penetration in people's minds, even if they don't consciously pay a lot of attention. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's why uh, advertising works. It's this repetition of the message. They, they should at least practice. Yes. And yeah. if, they had, if they had the right message, it might start to, you know, penetrate people's, mm. people's consciousness a little bit. But these, the Labor Party's completely lost mm. at the moment. Mm. Greg in the chat room says, why would you want to give more power to local government? I've never seen a local government that wasn't dysfunctional. Abolish local mm. government, replace them with bureaucrats from the state government and give health, education and roads to the Commonwealth. Mm. <laughs> a lot of local government is way too small. I happen to think the Brisbane City Council operates reasonably well, mm. no matter which party's in charge. But it's one of the largest local government authorities yeah. in the world. No, it's, I agree. It's, and so is, that mm. It's able to organise things properly because it's big enough. It but, has resources. You know, in places like Sydney, for example, it's all just divided up uh, into local yeah. bits and pieces. Yeah. So, And the um, government, the federal government tried to uh, consolidate a lot of them, didn't they, a few years ago? And they met with some resistance in some yeah, areas. Well, local government is a state government invention. So it's up to the states whether they want so local government. that only in New South Wales? Because I know mm. there were... 
there were moves to consolidate a lot of local governments. Yeah. I thought that was all over Australia. I may be wrong. But, but there was a lot of resistance. Yeah. You know, people like their well, local government. Yeah, they like well, to it feel... It happened in Queensland. It happened in Queensland too. There was consolidation up there. In this, well, there you go. You know, oh. But, you know, you used to have the Maroochee Shire Council, the Caloundra Shire mm. Council, the um, Noosa Shire Council, yeah. which was all merged into the Sunshine Coast mm. Regional Council, and then Noosa decided to break away. You know, people of, like their local government. They like to think it represents their local community rather than some massive metropolis. Speaking of Noosa, next week we're going to have Robin Bristow come on Great. and oh, talk, about talk about, about his this. event um, on Hastings Street, yeah. where a bunch of Satanists at Halloween are going Ooh. to be parading up and down the street, um, exercising their religious, religious freedom. freedom. And it's caused quite a lot of angst in the local paper up there and all mm. sorts of funny things have happened. So Robin's going to come on and tell us. <laughs> Good on you, uh, He's stirring the pot up there yeah. and saying, well, if you want religious freedom, yes. this, this is, is what, what you're going to get. Like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that'll be Robin next week. Okay. So look forward to that. Yeah, um, it's a very interesting um, letter to the editor. Did you see that? Yes, from, from Robin? Facebook? No, it wasn't no. from him. It was from someone else that said, look, these people are just trying to stick the wind up you. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to show you what religious freedom actually looks like. Yeah. And he then he then concluded his letter saying we don't need this religious freedom. Well, what he's exposing is that people want religious freedom, they want Christian religious freedom. Absolutely, yeah, they that's do. What yeah. they want. Yeah, we Christian want religious freedom. freedom. Yeah, yeah, for Christians. Yeah. So he's doing a good job. Good morning. So we'll talk to Robin next week. Um, right. Oh, just before we leave Labor, um, I I read a, a, a quote which I hadn't heard before, which was um, when Margaret Thatcher was asked what she regarded as her greatest achievement, <laughs> her reply was new labour. Yes, that's interesting. So she had so shifted the ground to the right mm. that, that the opposition Followed shifted her. with her. Yes. Arguably, um, Morrison's greatest achievement is Anthony Albanese. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe. So this... Six Albanese. years of opposition is, yeah. Mm. Albanese is a bitter disappointment. Mm. He really yeah. is. Look, he's, he's probably a very decent guy, but he's yeah. definitely not what... Either that or it's is. a case of Stockholm Syndrome where you've been captive for so long that you start to, um, you know, uh, associate and, and yeah. familiarise yourself your with oppressor. your captors, <laughs> yeah, with your oppressors. It could be that that's happening, mm. uh, yeah. We mentioned uh, last week or was it last week, the week before, renewable energy? Mm. Yeah. And, and how important the steady supply of electricity is. Mm. And my sister-in-law is visiting at the moment. And interestingly, in California, in San Francisco at the moment, uh, around two and a half million people are going to be without electricity. Now, there's plenty of power, but because of high winds and dry conditions sparking fires from transmission lines... Mm crossing over in high winds, they're going to shut down electricity to two and a half million people for really? about two days. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, so for what purpose? Because of the grass fi the fires that are being caused. So I think what's happened is about two or three years ago, similar weather conditions, mm. high winds dry, yeah. uh, alleged that the uh, electricity poles with the wires caused fires and the electricity company got sued. So what they're saying is, well, if you want to sue us for these sorts of conditions, very simply, we'll shut down when it's predicted. So that's what they're Wouldn't doing. Wouldn't they have to shut it down 
indefinitely? Well, during this period of high winds that's expected. Oh, um, well, so you, that's know, you, you, so you would recall those bad bushfires in Victoria a few years ago where, you know, 180 people or whatever died. Mm. Some of those were started by faulty power lines, weren't they? So my point is when we were talking about renewable energy and people talk about the importance of having every single day covered, you know, if you, mm. if you missed a couple of days, what a terrible result it would be. Well, mm. there are situations arising around the world where there's actually power and they're shutting it off anyway because of other reasons. Mm. So bear that in mind when you're insisting on 100% power coverage mm. that uh, there might be other reasons why it gets shut, shut off. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Right. Um, and they've been having shocking forest fires in California, haven't they, over the yeah. last few years? Yeah. Really shocking. Yeah. Much on a bigger scale than even what we get in Australia sometimes. Yeah. Well, certainly in the hills around San Francisco, part of the problem is that they introduced eucalypts. Yes. And yeah. they burn, baby. Yes. They really burn. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of the problem there. Yeah. Although um, don't pine forests burn when they get dry as Not well? like eucalypts. Oh, really? Mm. Mm. Right, um, but the good news is maybe prayer will help because uh, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, uh, just the other day... Jesus Christ, that man. ...has recommended more prayer. Mm. This, is, this is really ugly. This is so... I'll, I'll read it and then I will... I'll, vomit. I'll vomit in my mouth and then I'll have a bit of my beer to wash it down. Oh. Prime Minister Scott Morrison promoted the power of prayer in a further demonstration. He is perhaps the most religiously motivated Prime Minister of the modern era. At a prayer breakfast in Parliament House this morning, which I think was a couple of days ago, organised by the Parliamentary Christian Fellowship, Morrison reflected on how he had met his wife Jenny at a small church camp in New South Wales. Decades later, they're at the White House, uh, blah, blah, blah. Morrison said prayer could bring about nonpartisan unity by reminding MPs of their vulnerability and humanity. And he quoted an American preacher in Washington as saying, the only prayers that you can be assured are never answered are the ones that are never prayed. Oh, fucking profound, isn't it? (laughs) And he says, I think that's true. And it's a reminder of the importance of prayer, the Prime Minister said. Oh, for fuck's sake. The only prayers you can be assured are never answered are the ones that are never prayed. Oh, Jesus Christ. I think that's true. It's a reminder of the importance of prayer. Oh, for God's sake. He goes on, what I like about prayer and what is so important about us coming together in our parliament and praying is prayer gives us a reminder of our humility and our vulnerability and that forms a unity because there's certainly one thing we all have in common, whether we sit in the green or red chairs in this place or anywhere else, it's our human frailty. It's our human vulnerability. It is one of the great misconceptions, I think, of religion that there's something about piety. It is the complete reverse, the complete reverse. Faith, religion is actually first and foremost an expression of our human frailty and vulnerability and an understanding that there are things far bigger than each of us. We know what Scott Morrison's going to do after he leaves politics. He's going to open his own fucking church. You know, I mean, these are the words of some of these prosperity gospel preachers, aren't they? They make it up as they go along. And he's making it up. Oh, God. It's so vacuous, isn't it? It is. The only prayers you can be sure to never answer are the ones that are never prayed. Gosh. And it's classic Morrison talk to say, I think that's true. It's, it's a, the- a budding theocracy we've got, dear listener, and if you don't think so, that's our Prime Minister. Uh, other examples, uh, Christian branch stacking in the Liberal Party. This time it's the Catholics mm. in Sydney's Hills region who are getting uni students to sign up. So 
there's a link to an article there where the Catholics are, uh, are branch stacking now. Goodness sake. Just, just, uh, our just politicians like say, are just going to be the most rabid bunch of yeah. theocrats. Uh, goodness sake. I'd just like to say how good are prayers that never get <laughs> prayed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the crap of the thought of that. Like, I know. It's revolting, isn't it? I to can't think believe that that man that, is our political leader. Yeah, but I can't leader. believe that we've got to that stage that a prime minister thinks it's okay to announce those sorts of thoughts in public. And it goes exactly against what he said when he was first elected that his religion was his own private matter. It's no longer his own private matter, no, is it's, it? It's got, he's wearing it on his sleeve. And he says it's a reminder of our humility and vulnerability. Like, it's got, you, you, if you think that there's an almighty God who's going to listen to you because you've prayed enough, well, then that's not really about humility and vulnerability. It's like, I'm special. Yep. Give me a special yep. favour because I'm praying to you. Yeah. That's not humility. Not at all. It's that's, like that's, these, that's, these sporting stars. Exactly. I've scored a touchdown. I've scored point a try. to the sky yeah, every yeah, time they score a try or, or win a tennis match or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's not humility. I mean, that's vanity, isn't it? To think that God helps you score a try Mm. while letting, you know, 5,000 children die of dysentery in the last 10 minutes, you know? Mm. Right. Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools, what a great organisation. Alison and Julia and... Oh, I've forgotten the third one off the top of my head who's having uh, chemotherapy at the moment. Uh, That's really bad. It'll come to me. Uh, look it up for me, Scott, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm, for, I'm looking at yeah. it. They're doing great stuff. Like we, are, yeah. Alison had her petition to State Parliament. Kathy. Kathy, yes. yes. Um, Alison had her petition and um, now they've done a survey, um, paid for a survey of a 1,000 Queenslanders and that's statistically significant. And basically the answers are that 60% of people oppose religious instruction in schools. That's religious sort of indoctrination, mm. not, not a broad education. No. Um, 73% are unaware that the religion that is taught is not endorsed by the education department. Um, 87% think that the kids who aren't doing religious instruction should be able to continue regular classwork um, and various other bits. So there's a link there to an article and... There's full facts about the actual questions that were asked and they also provided definitions for the concepts they were using in the questions, which gets me to my next point where when we're talking about surveys and questions, the nature of the question, how it's asked, uh, is a big issue Mm. and maybe we skip over it a little bit too much. So I remember Was uh, wasn't happy with the climate change question because he thought it was binary. Mm. Remember he thought it could be man-made and... ...a binary issue. You know, if you criticise them for a lot of people, it means you're a climate change denier. Right, yeah. By proxy, you know. Last week we talked about how um, people were asked, how much money would you spend on yeah. for climate change, right? <laughs> 50 and, to 100 bucks, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we said, well, that's not much. So the question was... How much more would you personally be willing to spend each year to help prevent climate change? And basically 39% were $100 or less per year. So 
Um, got a message from David, listener David, who said, I noted, I noticed a bit of derision amongst all three of you regarding the poll on climate that was discussed, particularly to the comparison of the number of people who were worried about the climate to the amount of money they were prepared to spend to fix it. I put forward the notion that how much was the wrong question. The question might have been, would you be prepared to pay more for goods and services if it was guaranteed to fix the problem of climate degradation? Mm. The response would have been completely different and the collective smirks within the Fist studio would have been non-existent. <laughs> Ouch, David. But he does say he loves the podcast. But that is but true. People is could look true, at that and go... David. The, 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 you know, people have a, a natural reluctance to, well, how much more would you be willing to spend each year to help prevent climate change? Yeah, but what you're so, talking about there is 50 to 100 bucks. It's $2 a week. That is nothing. Still smirking, David, by the looks of it. I, I am still smirking because it doesn't make any sense. And I honestly believe that – oh, God, I keep saying that. Oh, yeah. You have to start beeping a horn at me when I say that. Okay. Um, I believe that you've – Well, that's just as bad. Okay. Okay. What can I say? You could say it's my understanding. It's my that, understanding. That's what lawyers say. Yeah, when, okay. Because that when you're say? not really sure of something – you say, instead of saying, I think it might be, you say, it's my understanding. And then you right. get What about accountants? What right. do accountants say when the boss comes in and says, what's the bottom line here, Scott? I just lean over and I say, what do you want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> it's my understanding that it's uh, whatever you want it to be. Right. It's my understanding that, you know, like $2,000 a year was where I settled because I thought, well, that's 40 bucks a week. And I thought to myself, how do I come at that? And I remember that I was looking at buying offsets for the carbon dioxide that I produce every year, mm. and that was forty bucks a ton. So I thought to myself, that would me that would mean me removing one ton of carbon dioxide a week, mm. which I don't know how much I produce, ladies and gentlemen. I couldn't tell you, but yeah. Mm. Okay, still from that ABC uh, survey. Mm. Um, I think Murray, a listener Murray, sent some other ones that he found interesting. Yeah, one of the was questions really was yeah. um, political correctness has gone too far in Australia. Uh, and do you agree or disagree? Uh, what well, was disagree? Um, I think you had an ability to say strongly or yeah. just a little bit. Anyway. Strongly agree. Agree, somewhat agree, is it? Um, Strong, uh, slightly disagree and strongly disagree. Or possibly, like because the more important part of this was, uh, I'm just showing it in the live feed, was a breakup between the voters. So the people who uh, strongly disagree, strongly agreed that political correctness has gone too far in Australia, One Nation supporters, 98% agree with mm. that statement. Yeah. That's a very... I don't think I've ever seen a survey result with 98% for... <laughs> that's a very strong um, indicia of uh, a One Nation voter. It's almost unanimous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. LNP, 88% agree. Political correctness has gone too far. Yeah. Uh, the Greens, 57% disagree. So... There you go. And ALP, 35% disagree. Mm. So that shows you a sort of a fault line in the Australian culture. If mm. you went into a barbecue situation and said, mm. what do you reckon? Political correctness gone too far? You, you could 
have a fair crack at somebody's yeah. um, political leanings based on their answer. Mm. Yeah, but I, I'd like to I'd like to say that political parties don't own ideas, you know. And I get I get this. They sometimes. adopt them. I get this sometimes on the secular party uh, page where if you dissent against some popular cause, you know, people say, oh, you must be in, you know, a member of One Nation or you yes. must be in the LNP. And, it, you know, the, they seem to assume that the left owns certain ideas and the right owns certain ideas and there's, there's no crossover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know. You know what I mean. Yeah. And, you but know, for goodness sake, why can't trying- we pick and choose the ideas that we actually agree with yes. without being labelled or identified as, as a member of some political faction. Yes. I mean, Christians cherry-pick from the Bible all the time. They do. We should be able to cherry-pick from ideas. <laughs> of course we should. As we see Thank you, yeah. Fist. So um, the problem is they claim the whole book is a wonderful thing, even though they cherry-pick half of it away. Mm. So, Okay. Uh, one of the other ones in there was how important would you say religion is in your life? And 50% said not important. At all, 25, 20%, not very important. So that's 70% um, downplaying. For whom religion of, is a non-issue. Yes. Now, what did you put on that response? Because how important is religion for you, Scott? Not important at all. And for you, not important at all except <laughs> but not, in, a, mm, you know, conversation mm, and yes. thought. Yeah. But, but in terms of how it impacts my personal life, Zero. Yeah. Well, you see, I could say, how important would you say religion is in your life? I'd say probably very important because I spend a lot of time talking about it. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean I agree with it, but do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but like, that's it's not an really wording, what the though. question no, was I about. would have picked it as being – I would have taken it the way that they would normally take it. You're right. But the point is uh, wording is important in these things. And, very, yes. Uh, and we will endeavour to examine the wording more closely. And which is why in the census, of course, they, they changed the wording, didn't they? Or they changed the location of the question. And that made a big difference, mm. remember, in the last census. That's right. Yeah. Yes, put it at the top. Yeah. Right. Uh, and one other one was um, having children is necessary in order to find fulfilment in life. Mm-hmm. And 74% of women would disagree and 52% of men would disagree. So. Didn't you find that interesting? I thought this was one of the most interesting results of the whole survey. Right. I would have assumed a majority of women would have thought having children was very important in terms of their, you know, personal sense of fulfilment in life. I've known a few girls that have decided not to have children. A few. I have too, and you know, I've known a few. But I would have thought for most women it would be a very significant issue. And, you know, as we can see from the results, more women than men said it's not that important. Mm. Weren't you surprised? No, because I could see women looking at that and saying, what do you mean I have to have children in order to be fulfilled? Because it's kind of on the woman to have the children. Mm. Kind Kind of. More than kind of. Yeah. So I can easily see women saying... No, I don't need to have children to have a fulfilled life. Don't categorise me as just some um, Baby birthing machine. machine. Yes. Yeah. Birthing yeah. Machine. So doesn't I get that. But anyway. It doesn't um, surprise me. I had a member of my family, I won't say who, but 
she said after her daughter was born, she said she would love her daughter and she'd throw herself into her front, in front of a train to save her. But she also said, I can understand why you decide not to have them. Mm. And I thought that was probably the most honest response that you could have from someone because, the, you know, she could understand why you wouldn't want them. Yeah. Mm. What does uh, Madagascar, Zimbabwe, uh, Cuba, Zambia and Australia have in common? They're all black. No. Of economic... We're no longer got a complex economy, I think. That's, that's it, exactly. So... So I'm assuming that means that, you know, Australia's dumbed its economy down by digging stuff out and selling it to the Chinese. Mm. So there's a measure of economic complexity index on various countries. And Australia has uh, fallen a great deal, according to that index, in recent times. And our fall compares with countries like Madagascar, Zimbabwe, Cuba and Zambia. And... What this article says is um, that a fact of the world today is that poor countries produce few things that everyone knows how to produce, while rich countries produce many things, uh, including some things that few countries know how to produce. Um, And growth is driven by how diversified and complex your economy is. And the... um, the complexity index is found to predict growth very accurately. Mm. So on the basis of that, it's not looking good. Mm. Probably because our economy, what growth there has been in recent times has been commodities, mm. which and the others are sort of sectors have probably stayed flat, I'd mm. say, and that then overall has meant that our economy has looked pretty ordinary. Yeah. Fortunately, there's not many of us. And there's a lot of stuff in the ground for us yeah. to dig up. We've got and, a lot of stuff. And hopefully it continues and we get away with it. Yeah. The lucky country, hopefully. Yeah. But, yeah, complexity. Complexity would be a, a, a healthy thing to embrace, wouldn't mm. it? it would, well, just spread the risk because at the exactly. moment we are yeah, yeah. dependent on commodities. That's and, right. Not only spread the risk, but mm. um, you'd make the economy more adaptable to, to whatever changes come mm. along, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to bubble in anything. I've been mm. reading some economic theory books, and yeah, it's all to do with the dollar and the trade imbalances, and and it's when you've got bubbles and imbalances mm. that you get problems. So China, even though it's cre- making all of this stuff and earning all of this money, is creating imbalances that work against it, even though mm. it's. Because what's it got to do with the money? It has to put it somewhere. Oh, it puts it in America because that's the biggest mm. sort of bucket you can put this sort of stuff in, mm. which then perpetuates a problem. So, um, Do you recall when the car industry shut down in Australia and mm. people were saying it was a mistake of the government, not so much because we lost the car industry, but because we lost all the allied industries mm. that supported it mm. uh, and all the, you know, the skill base that went with it? And the money that we supposedly saved... Has uh, been pissed up against the wall on submarines, submarines. and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And we should have bought them from Japan because the Japanese were prepared to build them in Adelaide too. Chicken mm. feed in comparison to what's been spent on other Absolutely. things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you're right because you look at the submarine bill, that would have kept our car industry going for 100 years or more. Mm. Um, got a little, uh, 
got a link to an article. We mentioned the Kurds last week, and I just got a link to the article where they've been screwed over eight times in recent history by America. And Scott Morrison's <laughs> response to the Kurds. That issue. man would be better off if he just shut his mouth, wouldn't he? Scott <laughs> said, ScoMo said, we are also very concerned about what this could mean for the potential resurgence of Daesh, and we will be working through all diplomatic channels, working with our colleagues, whether in Europe or in the United States or elsewhere, where we have been in partnership in the Middle East for some time, to closely monitor these developments. So he used the word working a lot of times and monitoring, but the end result is we're going to do nothing. Nothing, exactly. It's just, it's just such bullshit language. Can't you see Australia, the monster that is in charge of this place? We could, uh. This is the whole point. Like, you know, I was talking to Paul on the way over here tonight. The Yanks removed 1,000 special forces from that border region. Trump could have cut that by half and kept 500 in place. The Turks would never have rolled against the American troops. You know? It's just a nonsense argument that Trump was coming up with. He it's said he wanted nonsense. to extricate their American troops from yeah. the war. But and at the same time, he sent a few thousand more to Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. Hmm. So he's not really bringing all the troops home at all. He's just, he's just making it up as he goes along, as he always has. Well, uh, has Putin told him to get out? Or, or has, uh, uh, you know, Erdogan has got, you know... He likes his hotels in Turkey, so he's doing him. Who knows? Who knows what goes on in his head? So, mm. Yeah, because Trump is a self-serving mm. piece of shit, basically. Mm. We haven't mentioned our Indigenous brothers and sisters lately. <laughs> no. Should we? Mm. Let's do it. Uh, in relation to assisted dying legislation. This oh. was... This is really an Indigenous really issue. Support. Oh, really? Mm. I wasn't aware of that. No, let me explain how. This is from The Australian... The father of Aboriginal reconciliation, Pat Dodson, fears that legalised euthanasia will create a barrier to Indigenous people getting medical care, deepening the health crisis in remote communities. He says, fears and suspicions of white fellow medicine will only increase and the capacity to ascertain informed consent will be difficult. He said people are very suspicious of the whole health system generally if they find it associated with potentially the capacity to end your life as much as to save it, I am fearful people will then, despite their need, start to move away. Sorry, Pat. And he says, um, uh, asked what was wrong with a doctor broaching assisted dying with a terminally ill patient, namely an Indigenous patient, he said... This is a fine line where the reservoir of knowledge is deemed to be in the professional when, in fact, this is about someone else's life. This is about an individual having to weigh up and consider whether this is an option they really want to take. Now, to instigate that discussion requires a broader context for First Nations people. They are not just nuclear families. Most of us have extended families and not everyone in those relationships sees eye to eye. It's about reaching consensus on the way forward that enables communities to stay together rather than simply decide they're going to allow individuals to make decisions for everybody else. I'm sorry? This is the kind of so gobbledygook assisted nonsense. Assisted dying is uh, 
not it's a community I, decision. I thought it was an individual, you know, non-binding decision on the part of the person who has a terminal illness, wasn't it? Isn't I, 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 that I understanding correct? Yeah. Or he's simply that, saying I would have that... I thought so. Or reading between the lines, he's saying Indigenous people are not capable of figuring it out. Don't you love like, these terms, white fella medicine? Yeah. It's not white fella medicine. It's scientific medicine. The leaders of the Indigenous community have so just let down their community. Badly. There's, mm. And there's Exhibit A, if anybody yeah, wants yeah. to think about that. Ah, uh, where are we? Um, let's rattle through a few that have been sitting on the agenda for a while. You're not in a hurry, are you? No. You're right. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> um, corporations are promising to be nice. Are they? Mm. This month... Business Roundtable, a group comprising the CEOs of America's largest and most powerful corporations, formally abandoned the view that maximising shareholder value should be the company's primary objective. They're saying that customers, employees, suppliers and communities now have equal sort of relevance. Finally, they have a conscience, a social conscience, eh? Apparently Mm. so. But that's not going to work. Until there's regulation actually forcing, you know, you can say, well, the environment has a stake, but the company that does the right thing uh, but spends the money and has a, therefore a more expensive product or service mm. is going to be um, will lose in, in the, the market. market. Yeah. So you just can't rely on the goodwill of companies because the ones who do the right thing will be exploited by the ones who don't mm-hmm. and people won't know. What you just can't know at every buying opportunity who's doing the right thing and who's not. Yeah. You need regulation to say uh, this is the minimum standard that's required. Mm. Um, that's the problem. So, um, in the Australian, Janet Albrechtson, mm-hmm. um, you ever read any of her stuff? Yes, yes. I, I think she's she's um, a very good writer. It's a good writer, and some of her ideas I wholeheartedly agree with. I wouldn't say all, but I have read a couple of her articles that I thought were terrific. It's good on freedom of speech. Yes, exactly. As the right always is. (laughs) The right does not own freedom of speech. It was for a long time very much a left issue, as you know. I know, but they've adopted it and the left has almost said, well, because it is a right issue now, we're going to abandon it. I know, they're idiots, aren't they? They've gone down the postmodern rabbit hole. Yeah. And they've, they've totally lost the plot on free speech, the left. Anyway, Janet, who I think is now part of the IPA as well. Mm-hmm. I think she has a role she might there. Be, yeah. yeah. At first glance, the joint letter released by 181 bosses of America's biggest company sounds rather appealing. She goes on, These self-appointed corporate moralizers have grown bored with a corporate structure that for hundreds of years has unleashed unthinkable innovation and creativity. Well, she has a point there. She does have a point there. <laughs> she said chief executives at the Business Roundtable should also know better than to try to socialise profits and privatise losses. Of course they should. I mean, clearly the aim is to privatise profits and, and socialise losses. Mm. I mean, that's how the system works. That's for goodness how they sake. do it, yeah. What are you guys doing? You've got it all wrong. Well, the GFC was a yeah. prime example of that, yeah. wasn't it? yeah. Why would people invest in a company, let alone risky ventures, unless their interests take priority over a nebulous category of other stakeholders? 
After all, when a company goes bust, shareholders, not stakeholders, blow their dough. Um, their dough. Unless, of course, they're a bank, Janet, in which case. They uh, don't buy their dough. Yeah, <laughs> no. That's right. So, no, they um, just get bailed out by the government. Yeah. Um, oh, here's one we should have mentioned as well. Was, uh, are you aware of the NBA basketball team where the manager tweeted, um, fight for freedom, stand with Hong yeah, Kong? Hong Kong, yeah. yeah I yeah. saw that tonight on um, the English bloke. What's his name? Why can't I ever remember Boris his name? Johnson? No, the, the English bloke, the <laughs> comedian. Oh, God. What's oh, his? Jonathan John Oliver. Pye. John no. Oliver. John Oliver. Oh, John, John Oliver. John Oliver. I saw him tonight. And, you know, he tweeted that fairly bland, innocuous statement. The Chinese government overreacted. They shut down the NBA's access to the Chinese market. Mm. A couple of Chinese websites have pulled... Um, the merchandise of this particular team from their from their yeah. sales. Yeah, it was a very big reaction. It was a huge overreaction. Yeah. Mm. The Houston Rockets are widely followed in China because, well, partly because they drafted a Chinese basketball player, uh, Yao Ming, in two thousand and two, who became a star for them and helped build the NBA's following there. So they were not just any old NBA team in China; they were mm. a mm. very important one. Consequently, they had a couple of important Chinese sponsors, a sportswear brand mm. and a bank, and both of them uh, suspended their cooperation with mm. the NBA side. So the owner of the Houston Rockets came out and said, uh, Daryl Morey doesn't speak for the Houston Rockets. Our presence uh, in Tokyo is all about the promotion of NBA generally. In Tokyo? Uh, well, they were in Tokyo oh. at that point. Um, the NBA came out with a statement saying, we recognise that the views expressed by Houston Rockets General Manager Daryl Morey have deeply offended many of our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable. While Daryl has made it clear that his tweet does not represent the Rockets or the NBA, the values of the league support individuals educating themselves and sharing their views on matters important to them. We have great respect for the history and culture of China and hope that sports and the NBA can be used as a unifying force, blah, blah, blah. So... Uh, I have great respect for the, for the history of Chinese civilization as well, having mm. studied it quite extensively. Mm. And, but I don't have a lot of respect for the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. They are the problem. Well, but... Should he have tweeted what he tweeted? I think he should have, yes. His choice, I say. Well, it's his choice, but you know, he has he has he has got his team in trouble with the with the <laughs> Chinese government. Mm. Now, I understand that. So, if they really wanted to take action against him, then that would be a case for his employer mm. to take action against him. It's not how they work. Yeah, I know, it? but this is exactly like the Israel mm. Folau thing. Oh, Israel, well spotted. Israel Folau was tweeting something mm. that got him in trouble with his employer, mm. so his employer sacked him. This guy has tweeted something that's got him in, got his employer in trouble, mm. so they could sack him. Yeah, well, they should have, you know... The, Rugby Australia should have ignored Israel Folau's, you know, ridiculous religious bullshit and the Chinese government should have also said, oh, well. Yeah, I know, but the Chinese government's not going to give That's up. That's not how they work, yeah, I they, know. They, you know yeah. they, 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 can, they, see, they see Hong Kong as an indis, 
as an indispensable part of China mm. and that, you know, this nonsense about democracy and that sort of stuff in China, they're just waiting until the 50 years clicks over, then bang, I it'll mean, all be over. I, I suspect it'll happen sooner, frankly. Mm. I mm. think uh, if these pro- protests in Hong Kong uh, continue and they become more violent, and that's what worries me, if the protesters were absolutely committed to non-violence and non-dis- not, not destroying property, you know, public property, I think the protests would have a lot of public support, not only in Hong Kong but outside Hong Kong. As soon as they start smashing stuff up, people go, oh, that's going a bit far. And if they actually harm people, you know, like even the Hong Kong police, I think they lose support as well. Mm. But um, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if... Xi Jinping or whoever succeeds him sends in the, the Chinese military much sooner than, what is it, 40, 47, isn't it? 47 is when yeah, the 50 years is that's up. Right, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Apple has removed the Taiwanese flag emoji from yeah, some iPhones right. uh, that you, if you buy them in Hong Kong or Macau. Yeah. And, w- and airlines around the world have voluntarily stopped listing Taipei or Taiwan as a separate uh, country. Right. No, it's called Taiwan SAR. SAR. Special Autonomous Region. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. That's how they do it. And, and that was done under pressure, including uh, Qantas. Well, Qantas did it too because Qantas, the Chinese government wanted them to. They, their knees buckled pretty mm. quickly. Well, they said that, you know, well, you can either land in China or you can change the name. So, <laughs> yep. so they changed the name. Didn't give them a lot of choice, did mm. they? Mm. Anyway, back to that basketball guy i think if you want to be a political spokesman then find another job uh do you so he put the sponsors in a tough position mm. uh or you should be in a team that doesn't rely on chinese sponsors like if you want to do that so i'm sure at a board meeting they went what the hell are you doing you're here to run a basketball team not commentate mm. on politics and you've now said this so that these sponsors have to do that so thanks a mm. lot uh, putting your foot in it. So. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how I feel about that. Right. I reckon that's probably enough. Unless you, Scott, had something that you really wanted to talk about. No, this can all wait. All, all the rest can wait, <laughs> yeah. So, dear listener... Oh, it's been interesting tonight. Anyway, it has been it? good, yeah. yeah. Dear yeah. listener, uh, thanks for being in the chat room, everyone who was there. James joined in as well. Our last pod... Our last... Um, because the live stream is like a post on Facebook, we yeah. had a reach of two and a half thousand on that. Mm. That was pretty good, I think, because of all the comments. So it helps mm. when you comment on the on the live feed. Mm. Um, and uh, no change to the patrons. Thank you. We love you all. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you to the beer sponsor Tony for our current one. We're down to the dregs, the dregs for next week, Mr. and then after that, we're going to have to we're going to have to make a special appeal next week. Yeah. So, I hope you're listening. Was yep. Um, <laughs> Why can't we get a corporate beer sponsor? You know, like um, yeah, Carlton United Breweries or something. Let's work on that. Us. So, um, <laughs> so thank you out there for uh, everyone who is supporting us. Um, mention us to your friends. Like, if you enjoyed part of our conversation, like send the link to a friend and say, check out this. Fast forward to the. 35-minute mark or whatever is the important part and help spread the word. So that would be nice. 
Yeah. He could just start. My my brother yeah. Landon Hardbottom. He started what he started listening to us oh, probably six months after we started, and he went right back through the whole back catalogue. Yeah. Right there mm. you go. So you've let the cat out of the bag that Landon's your brother now. Oh, everyone knew Landon was my brother, didn't Did they? they? Oh, I don't know that they did. Oh, okay, yeah. fair so. enough. <laughs> All right. Um, it's public knowledge now. It Thanks, public knowledge. Cam, for joining us. Uh, I. Uh, Give a sign-off, Scott. <laughs> Give a sign-off. <laughs> Say goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye, everyone. Cheryl, where's the girl who helps me with this? I'm trying to leave a message for that fist fellow and that velvet glove person. What, what do you mean she's on lunch? She needs lunch? Goodness me. I have to pay sick leave. I have to pay for annual leave. This is why we need corporate tax breaks in Australia. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast so there's different levels ranging from a dollar fifty australian to i think ten dollars and various ones in between it's really what do you think it's worth is it worth a cup of coffee uh is it worth more than that less than that whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.